What time is it, you wonder? Well, it's time for Drinks with Tony on KPCRLP Santa Cruz 101.9 FM. Ba-ba-da-ba-bum sound. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 136 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Aaron Carnes. He's the author of In Defense of Ska. Hey, um, remember that the SNL sketch with Chris Farley, the one where he would interview someone famous. And so he would be like, um, so, uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah, you were great and die hard. Thank you. Bruce says, Oh, and, uh, Oh, I remember that time in Pulp Fiction where you shot John Travolta when he was coming out the bathroom. Yes. Bruce Willis says <laughs> that was cool. See, when I do drinks with Tony, I do everything to restrain myself from becoming Chris Farley. And what's so how part of how I do this is I read a few chapters of the book right when I get it from the publisher a few months before we interview. And then I put it away and forget about it as much as possible because I want to try to really create an organic conversation. And then after the interview, I get to read it for pleasure. So essentially, I'm putting off pleasure. Why am I telling you all this? Well, what's funny is when Aaron and I were interviewing, we happened to talk a lot about the band, The Untouchables, which I saw a bunch of times as a kid. And, and any conversation with Scott in it, I think of The Untouchables. They were my favorite band for a while, and I saw them so often in San Francisco. So Aaron and I talked about the shows, and we talked about Fishbone opening for them, etc. You'll see in a minute. And then... I'm reading the book for pure pleasure after we taped one. It's really good. And I'm glad I didn't read it before, or I would have gushed all over Aaron, like Chris Farley on SNL. It would have been, it would have been embarrassing for both of us, but two, there are some great stories about the untouchables in the book. And the topic came up organically when I didn't even read it. It was just, it's just one of those sweet spots of conversations where it comes up and it wasn't forced, you know, like those late night talk shows where they're like, so tell us about skiing and tell you ride. And they're like, well, funny. You should ask that out of nowhere after I've told three of your uh, segment producers, the exact story. And we rehearsed it. I just, it, that just drives me nuts, but I love it when it, things come up organically and I'm a fan and this was this interview was just so much fun because things came up organically and I read the book later and I'm like, wow, they're in the book already. Hi, I'm Aaron Carnes and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Aaron Carnes. He's the author of In Defense of Ska on Clash Books. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, why do we need the need to defend Ska? Oh, yeah. I, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big question. No, but I, th I guess the, the short answer is that um, I just don't think Ska is treated at the same level as other genres. And that's I think my main argument is that people should at least give it the respect that other genres get wh whether or not it's a genre you care for you know people just dismiss ska outright do you think it's because um I, i'm just you know tell me i'm completely wrong but some but something like no doubt coming out where you're just kind of going 
oh great it's kind of gone mainstream in a weird way and then all of a sudden it's superstardom and then people think of ska as those bands when they don't realize yeah the the roots of it and how important it was i mean when i was a kid i was going to every ska show i could go to you know so I definitely think that the the way it got mainstream in the 90s and the bands that got mainstream and and the way it was sort of presented by the mainstream culture has heavily impacted people's ability to take the music seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those individual bands. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Real Big Fish, but Real Big Fish sort of become the primary focal point for a lot of people. And they think all Scott is Real Big Fish. And it's yeah. like, no, Real Big Fish do Real Big Fish. And they did Real Big Fish alongside while other ska bands were doing political music. They were doing like very serious music. And that was like the kind of the cool thing about ska in the early 90s was that like everyone just did their own thing. And it wasn't like everyone, anyone was saying like, if you're going to be a ska band, you have to be this way or that way. But then when when the bands got popular, it was like a few of those bands got popular and then MTV, of course, you know, just like they did with grunge where they're like, grunge is, grunge is flannel. You know, they, they <laughs> kind of created these artificial rules. They did the same thing with Scott. It's like, oh yeah, uh, Real Big Fish wears Hawaiian shirts, Mighty Money Boston's wears uh, plaid. Like these things became indicative right. of Scott when it was like, that's just what those bands did. Yeah, that's like, right. Look, I forgot about Mighty Mighty Boston. Like look at the band Hepcat who was playing at the same time. Them, Those guys were like the coolest dressers, the coolest dancers. They played like soulful, old yeah. style ska. That happened at the same time as uh, those like kind of like goofier bands that people are familiar with. I got to interview the lead singer of Hepcat when I was uh, writing for The Chronicle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of the movie Swingers. And yeah. I'm just, I, I don't know if you remember him in the movie. Oh, he, yeah. It was just, he was, I loved his line. He had the, every single time they're like, hey, we're going to go to this other place. And like, it's totally jumping in the party around him. He's like, yeah, this place is dead anyway. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> all these beautiful girls around. It's just like, it's just like, yeah, they keep going to deader and deader places. <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's always fun to see him pop up in shows or yeah. movies. Like I think last time I saw him was a, he had a bit role in Breaking, not Breaking Bad, um, Better Call Saul. Oh, he did. Yeah, I think he was a cop. It was like it wasn't a big role, but it's just like, yeah. oh, that's there he is. <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. That's right, and he was on Becker, wasn't he? He was on Becker. Becker. I think he's in guy? Sim. He's in Simpsons now too. He's doing a voice. Carl. Oh, yeah, that's a money machine. If there you, you go. Those people. What are they on? Thirty-two years. Yeah. And if you voice the Simpsons for thirty-two years, how many houses do you have? <laughs> you can't even print that much money. I don't think the government can print how much money they're worth right now. They're just like, no, no, we can't keep up. Just, just, <laughs> just keep adding decimals. <laughs> you did some film too, yeah? Um, I actually studied. I majored in film in oh, college. Okay. And then I produced a documentary um, mm -hmm. called, it was about the Cactus Club. Uh, oh the my San God. Jose, you, yeah. you're from the Bay Area, right? You know yeah. That. Oh, I was, <laughs> I, I was at the Cactus Club. The minute I turned 21, I was like at the Cactus Club like twice a week. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Gilroy. Uh -huh. So when I was growing up, San Jose was the closest spot for me to try to that's where i was aspiring to get to as a kid wanting to go to shows you know and yeah. kind of combating a, a religious mom and a lack of a car that was like that was the thing you know and cactus club was like was the first it was the closest thing right yeah so yeah me and uh, a couple other guys we uh, we made this documentary and uh 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it came out pretty good. I mean, I, I feel like it had we had more resources, we could have done better. But you know, it, it is what it is for a no budget yeah. documentary about a club that like people in that area care about, and it doesn't really have a national interest, right? Yeah, it's funny because I, I was I was like I was um, I found out I could just take radio classes and become a college DJ. Uh-huh. So I was at KFJC in those years. And we used to get on the guest list for the Cactus Club all the time. And I was broke as hell. I could barely make the gas money <laughs> from Fremont to um, to the Cactus Club. And I just see every single band I could. I was just like soaking up as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so, great. Yeah. It was a great place. It was a great place, but it was also like the place we love to hate, too. Mm-hmm. It was the like the, the local shithole that, you know, like, God, fucking Cactus Club. But then we all like miss it. Yeah. Like, it's like we lost a relative or something. Do you remember the cigarette girls that used to bop around? Oh, yeah. There? Yeah. Because they, yeah. they had Marsugis, they had uh, the Cactus Club. Uh-huh. And there was another club called the FX, but they had like so many different changes, I think. And those girls would just walk around with their cigarettes and their candy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like, my band, Ska Band, my, my old Ska Band back in the day, Flat Planet, we played Cactus a few times, but I swear we never had a good experience there because the, like the, we always got put on like bills with like alt rock bands or, or, (laughs) you know, like rap metal, which was like so big at the time and always got that sort of like dead response. And uh, I always, I always felt like the, the people that worked there kind of rolled their eyes at us because we were like goofy kids playing ska and they, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give us the good mix. That's like the, that's the move at the clubs back in the day. If they didn't like you, they just give you kind of a bad mix. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember not liking people at the cactus club who worked there. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it just popped into my head. I remember seeing buck naked and the bare bottom boys there a few times. Oh. Those guys were, just, yeah, they were awesome. I mean, yeah. Like 19, 1989, 1990. Those guys were like kind of in your face should have been way bigger than they were, you know, it was. Yeah. And then uh, like this uh, band. So some, like I said, I'm from Gilroy and then, one there was like one other Gilroy band. Um, originally, they were there was a band called Dutch Courage. They were mm-hmm. we were they were just local. My friend played bass in that band, and then that band broke up. And then a couple of guys started this band called Salmon, and they became sort of like one of the biggest like cactus bands. They just like blew up at the Cactus Club, and huh. then they, they they were like rap metal. Um, yeah. And then they got like a uh, record deal, major label record deal, big deal, I think. And then it just didn't go anywhere <laughs> yeah, yeah as it happened to many bands back then it's almost like the dot-com that was the dot-com of bands yeah. right here's all your money now you're done <laughs> but it was like cactus was like the only place where they were superstars like it just didn't translate outside of cactus it was so fascinating interesting wow yeah i remember seeing i remember seeing i remember going to you know this is so long ago but primus before they had anything out they would play yeah. the cactus club all the time and uh I just remember seeing them there with like 10 people. <laughs> you know, people yeah. just going, oh, what's up with the weird surfer looking dude? You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's all, he suck. <laughs> oh man, I love, I was so into Primus back then. Oh, me too. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't believe, I don't know if you remember when they played um, their first big show when they kind of got some, um, what do you call it? Got some legs on their fame. They played the Greek theater in Berkeley. Oh, okay. And I, it blew I, my mind that they can fill the Greek theater. It was just like, wow. And that was the last time I saw them. But I saw them, I saw them right right when they were blowing up too. And I saw them at um 
they played this festival in uh, Shoreline called the Gathering of the Tribes. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And Fishbone, Fishbone were also on that bill. Those were like pretty much the two bands I wanted to see. Yeah. And then um, they also, I can't remember which was first, but they were around the same time. They also played at the, uh, the San Jose State Event Center. Huh. I missed it. And uh, yeah, that was just packed. And that was like, yeah. That was, was it, like the first time I saw like they were like a like a band blowing up. I could really yeah. tell, yeah. It was weird, yeah, because it was. Um, I would just see him at shows, you know, because he he would go. I used to go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, back when they had Hillel on a guitar mm-hmm. and would play the smaller clubs, and he'd always be there, and I'd be like, "You're the Primus dude," and he'd be so excited. <laughs> I knew who he was. And he's like, oh, yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they don't treat us that well. Every time we play with them, they're kind of dicks. He was like all mad about it. <laughs> nice. And then now they're all st- middle-aged stadium fellas, you know. Mm-hmm. We can't get in touch with them. They don't take our calls. No, they don't take our calls. <laughs> <laughs> did, what, do you grew up religious? I did, too. Yeah, I grew up in a uh, very um, fundamental Christian household. I know you were Jehovah's Witness, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian house that was like, well, okay, so I, we went to this church that was like really extreme Christian, I would say. Like, we there was like speaking in tongues. There was like, I, I swear to God, we had the hell talk like every other week. Right. Um, you know, recommitting your soul to God, you know, every month, I think. It was really bizarre when I look back to it. And our youth group like, I swear, like, we never did anything fun. Like, I, I talked to other friends who grew up in youth groups. I was like, oh, yeah, we used to go to, you know, this amusement park. We used to, I was like, all we did was, like, have these crazy, like, fear-based, <laughs> like, sermons. And I don't, and, like, I they did a few things that I kind of weaseled out of. Like, um, they went to, like, some, you know, Native American reservations to preach. They, like... Oh, wow. Protested at abortion clinics. You oh, know. wow. Yeah. I, I'm glad that I like managed to sort of like find a way out of that stuff. But yeah, yeah. that was the kind of stuff that was our uh, fun activities. I I feel, yeah, sometimes I, you know, I find out how um, I, I, I always would have gotten out because I questioned, I had too many questions, but yeah. you know, I was really in the belief system. And then now I look back and some of the people that like grew up in it and stayed in it, they had so much fun as Jehovah's Witnesses. Of course, they're going to stay in it. I'm kind of like, I'm glad they gave me the crap version, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You guys are crazy. Even if you're cool, you're crazy. So. Yeah, it took, it was a huge process. It was actually a huge part of my 20s was like, well, actually, when I was like 21, I pretty much had like, I think I think the doubt was building in me in my subconscious and I wasn't fully aware of it because I kind of went like one day I was just like, you know what? I, I just don't, I don't believe it. Like I just kind of had that epiphany. Right. And it was like a really nice peaceful day when I had that. And I felt like really good for a couple months. Yeah. And then, um, then I got a like, high for the first time because my, all my friends did drugs and I, I, I'd never really had an issue with it, but so I kind of was like, okay, I'll try it. So we got, I, we all got stoned and stuff. And then like the experience was so bad because I got too high and, yeah. uh, I was like, I was really thinking heavily about how eventually, like time is so fast. Like these were the thoughts I was having. Time is so fast. I'm going to be, you know, 70, like before I know it and I'm going to be dead. You know, I'm just, I was just like thinking about this stuff obsessively and I started having like panic attacks. And then I started like going like, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? You know, I just like, I dealt with this for like a couple of years after that experience where it was like, 
in my head, I knew for a fact that I didn't believe it, but in my heart, I kept going like, what if, what if, what if, what if, and, and it was like a, it was like a unraveling process. I had to like, I like saw a therapist for a while to try mm-hmm. to deal with it and stuff. And I, I feel like it wasn't really until my mid to maybe late twenties where I was just like, I could comfortably say I was an atheist and I could comfortably think about my own death without like having an anxiety attack about it. You're faster than me. Yeah. Was it a longer <laughs> process for you? Oh my God. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it, it's funny because it's just one, you know, it's, I have, it's weird because people just, you know, when they talk to me, they don't understand how committed I was to the belief system. There was no other belief system. There's no other choice. Mm-hmm. You know, as we're kids, you grow up with that. That's yeah. your only reality. For sure. And, um, yeah. and then the, the doubts and then go, I, you know, I went back. I, it's, you know, I went back and forth. And, um, but it was, it was really earth shattering to me when it finally started to dawn on me, wait, this might be wrong. And I started to have, re- I got really bad panic attacks. I ended up with agoraphobia. I had to check myself into the hospital oh, wow. because I was, it, and it's just like, but it all after, you know, in hindsight, it makes sense. Cause if you shatter a belief system, that's just in your DNA. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't think a lot of people have to do that in their lives. It's, I, I try to explain it. It's like, if you're walking on like the sidewalk and all of a sudden everything's water, like that's how crazy it is. Yeah to get out of a belief system. It's just like, Oh, wow. Everything I thought was real is not real. And you're trying to swim. <laughs> oh yeah. And then it's like, you know, things outside of the belief system, you know, it's like all of a sudden you, you have to think about everything because you, you, you view yourself as a person who has fallen for something that you now know isn't true. So like, do you trust yourself to see reality? Yeah. You know, and, and w- everything else that you like kind of grew up thinking was true. Is that true? I mean, that's why I kind of have empathy for people who are sucked into weird conspiracy theories and stuff. Cause I understand like you don't just present that person with evidence. It's like an entire emotional process to get out of something. That's right. A belief. Yeah. And what that's, you know, but that blew my mind when I would, cause I look back and I feel, I feel like the, cause we had persecution complex and we had to just separate ourselves at school. There was so much against us immediately. You know, uh, mm-hmm. even my, sixth grade teacher, my mom overheard her saying, I hate Jehovah's Witnesses. And she would, I would be targeted as like an 11 year old in class. Oh, wow. Just because of, you know, I didn't know anything else, but it just, it, what it does is reinforce the persecution complex. So it keeps you further and further in. And it was those moments where people who weren't Jehovah's Witnesses were like totally understanding and kind. Cause I was banging on doors a few times a week too. And it wasn't the people that were mad that or yelled at me that like made me think it was the people that were kind. Mm-hmm. And I went, wait, there, there's people that are nice and treating me well, even <laughs> though they know. And, and those are the ones that kind of were the early breakthroughs, you know? So the empathy yeah. part is so important. Yeah. I had a really interesting experience that I think was a huge help for me. Like I said before, I, I, I got some therapy or I, I went to see a counselor and I, my counselor was Christian, right? And, but she was a different kind of Christian than I was. She was like a more liberal Christian or a Christian who had, I can't remember her denomination, Mm -hmm. but she didn't necessarily believe in hell. She had like, she had more like thoughts like, oh, when you die, you know, I, I believe that, you know, if you, if you're a believer, you go to be with God, but if you're not a believer that you just, you know, 
kind of cease to exist. That's kind of like, she didn't have this view of like, that you will be eternally punished for not believing mm. in God. Right. Yeah. And like, for some reason, like, even though I was, I went up front and told her, like I said, I, you know, I was, grow, I grew up religious and I'm, I don't believe in God at all. I don't believe in God. I'm, I, I don't even know if I said the word atheist at the time, but I, I said this and she was like, totally like, like not very non-judgmental and, and like listening to her say her beliefs, like, I think the reason it was helpful is because I saw that she was the same belief system as the, the church I grew up with, but she had a completely different conclusion. So it's not like these things are, are not, it's either A or B. I don't know. It's the same. Like, well, there's different people view these things differently. So it's okay to like kind of analyze these things and see what actually makes sense. And also I think maybe the fact that she was like so kind and sympathetic and accepting to me saying, I don't believe in God. It was like hugely helpful to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to be accepted. Yeah. It's like, because when, when you're in that belief system, it's, it's a constant, like, are you still in, are you still in? There's kind of that constant nudge where like, are you still good with God? He's still good with God constantly. And then when you get out of it, you're like, Oh wait, the pressure's off. (laughs) <laughs> not, not, not like you're gonna you know shoot up heroin and go you know but but it's just that pressure's off and it's confusing for that pressure to be off because it's yeah and it's like you're constantly told in the church that the, the reason you wouldn't believe in god is because you want to go do all the sinning and all the bad stuff and i was like kind of going like I, it's not i don't really have a desire to do these things that i'm told not to do I, it's just more like i don't actually think them or believe them and i just want I just want to live authentically and I want to have like my authentic thoughts be okay. You know, like, yeah. that was like, that was something I kept coming back to. I, was, I wasn't like, I wasn't seeking out any sort of behavior that was otherwise banned or, you know, looked down upon. Yeah. And that cracked me up. Yeah. I think I really confused a lot of people because I never really acted out. I was just like, <laughs> Oh, I just like film and reading and music. And then, but I don't, you know, and that's it. You know, and they're like, well there's, well, there's a lot of drugs. If you're around music, you're just going to get drugged up. And I'm like, I know, I just go to show, I see bands, you know, it's, I'm there for the music. It's, uh, yeah. No, I, because <laughs> I had a hard time getting to shows when I was a teenager and my dad was an Uber elder, you know, in the congregation. So uh, the Untouchables and Fishbone were playing at the Circle Star Theater in Santa Cla- uh, in uh, Redwood City. I don't know if oh, you know man. that venue. I don't know that venue, no. Yeah, it got torn down. But um, so, you know, Fishbone shows are just out of control. <laughs> but the oh, Untouchables. The best. I know, but the Untouchables, I threw in. It was my first pit, pit too. I, I, My dad's like, well, let me hear this music. And so I put on Untouchables, What's Gone Wrong, like the mellowest Untouchables song. We're just like, well, this is nice soul. Okay, I'll take you boys to the show. <laughs> just it was so awesome to like just get one over on my dad and we're driving up and there's all these like dudes with mohawks on vespas drinking out front he's all what are those people doing you know he thought it was just gonna be like real mellow yeah Yeah, you know know, it's funny when i seen the untouchables are in my book i interviewed about three i think three members of that band and um really nice guys by the way yeah yeah and uh in in my research for them i found some like uh, clip from the 80s um, like a TV sort of, you know, like a local LA TV feature on them. And oh. it was really, really funny to watch because, you know, if you think about the time period that the untouchables came in, that's like LA punk rock, right? That's like 
parents are afraid of these scary punks, right? Yeah. So the angle that the 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 program took on the Untouchables is like, hey, this is your, these are great band, really positive, um, great for your kids. It was like it was yeah. like a pro parent endorsement of this band almost wow. like like these are these are good examples you know really funny like just think like how how often youth culture doesn't do that you know no matter what it is even if it isn't really that bad but yeah. like but the untouchables were like viewed as this like hey you know it's okay it's okay go ahead let your kids see this band oh i did i worship those guys I, yeah you know, it's just like i think i got to shake jerry's hand once and i was just i was like i'm not watching this for a month they're like definitely underrated i think partly because i don't think they're they left behind recordings that really showcase what uh, an incredible live band they were yeah yeah i mean they had so many issues with their with their recordings and their albums and and everything else um you know especially as they were getting more closer to breaking it's like they started getting more into labels wanting to control the recording and controlling their imaging and you know you we get in that that whole issue that fishbone got into where it's like you know most of the band's black um what is this music how do we market this music you know is this r&b is this rock and roll fishbone fortunately just were able to just sort of do be themselves and yeah they had they had an advocate for them at their label but i don't think untouchables had that you know, they had a lot more like struggle to 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 record what they wanted and to like present themselves as they was authentic to them. Yeah, yeah, they always they always blew my mind live. I was every time they came to San Francisco, I was just so enamored of them. And it was just funny because Fishbone would open for the Untouchables. We were there for the Untouchables and cool Fishbones here. Yeah. And then the first time I saw Fishbone headline, I think was at uh, the Fillmore. And the lead singer was uh, he was stage diving, going nuts, and then he just stage diving. He's all take me to the back and rolled over the whole crowd and got to the back and was still singing. I'm, you know, my 19 year old brain's going, this is God. These people are gods. You know, know, I interviewed, I interviewed Chris Dowd, the keyboardist slash trombonist for Fishbone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was asking him about the untouchables because the untouchables, well, the, both the bands sort of less sort of started at the same time, but Fishbone were younger. They didn't really start gigging until a few years later. Yeah. And uh, he's like, Oh Yeah those guys he's like those guys had a target on their backs we wanted their fans uh-huh. <laughs> we we played to like to beat them to get their fans That's so and i think you saw that right you saw them oh do that. yeah yeah it's it's just like it's yeah it's so i just had a memory flash i was at the film and someone was re- had a micro cassette recorder they snuck in you know back in those days don't yeah. bring any cameras or recorders and he was sitting there like this and um I can't remember which member of the band came up and he grabbed the, he grabbed it out of his hand, <laughs> the recorder. <laughs> and then um, he was cool about it though. He took the tape out, threw the tape out and gave it to the, that gave kid. Him, yeah. <laughs> oh, the yeah. joys of not being at a show with devices. I, kids don't know what shows were like when you would just sit there and be totally present. You know? Yeah. I know. It's, it's weird to go to shows and just see people um, either on their phones or taping it. Yeah. It's like, it's it's weird. That's yeah. I mean, I have a I have a band called Narboots now, and um, I feel like part of our part of our motivation is to sort of break that because we will put all our music on an iPod, and we'll bring microphones with really long cables, and we'll be in the audience, and we'll just try to like get people 
outside of yeah that sort of like we're just an audience receiving try to get them to dance try to get them to you know just shake them up a little bit and i feel like it works you know people like i just feel if you nudge them a little bit they'll be a little they'll put their phones away and then they'll start engaging but you know kind of almost like left to them left to their own devices they'll they'll just start doing that just start like half paying attention half you know being on their phone yeah i want a device section you know remember when they had smoking sections <laughs> device just, section. yeah that's yeah, a great like, idea yeah but you can do your thing but you all have to stay together and it's a little crappy corner everyone else is uh gets to, do, gets to live yeah <laughs> gets to go dance you know enjoy yeah. the music yeah wild or just or just have the band be background music to your uh, your scrolling, you know. Pick. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's start the device section. I'm up for that, you know. Yeah. Like, how uh, did I, we I'm, get? What's that? I said I'm for it. Yeah, you, you convinced me. Yeah, it's like back in the day. There was like it was, you know, all of a sudden everyone can smoke at a show, and then it was like, no, you can only smoke over here. Yeah. You know, they started moving it around. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like no smoking. No smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone with the device should chain smoke. Let's just move it to that way. And then they could die early. <laughs> That's so weird. Remembering how everyone used to smoke at shows. Oh, it's like, it's just, just thinking about those, those bars and clubs with no ventilation and how like, it didn't matter if you smoked. Yeah. You were basically smoking. I would, I would, my clothes would be smell of sweat and cigarette smoke. after yeah. every, And it disgusted me, but you know, I was just like, ugh. You know, it's and it'd be like four or five days until you got the smoke out of your clothes. Not even and it, there, there would always be like one or two people that was smoking a clove, and that clo <laughs> and that clove smell would overtake the entire smell of the whole club. And it was only like one or two people though. Yeah, <laughs> the cloves. I forgot. Clo yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you mentioned it in your book, One Step Beyond. Did you talk about that? that yeah, that's where yeah. I saw um, my first Scott show. Was that what, one step beyond? Which one was that? Uh, Skank and Pickle. Oh, you know, there was, a, there was a ton of Jehovah's Witnesses who went to Skank and Pickle shows all the time. Was there a reason? It, I think they were just clean enough and they and the parents let them get away with it for some reason. And it was all in that Tracy. It was in the Tracy Modesto area. Those Jehovah's Witnesses all would, all would follow Skank and Pickle. Oh, that's so funny because some of the, like, like half of that band is just like, at least back then was just, drinking and doing drugs and yeah. <laughs> sex with groupies it was like they were like very not wholesome but i guess like in terms of you know what they what they were on stage and stuff i guess yeah. so <laughs> i don't know but what i loved one step i saw you know, the untouchables at one step beyond oh nice yeah yeah that was, yeah that was a great club i saw at that show we also saw um was cherry pop and daddy's was opening oh is, wow but yeah. they were um they were called the daddies. They weren't called cherry pop and daddies and they didn't have suits either. They were just in t-shirts and yeah. they were just a whole bunch of people crammed on stage. They played some, some swing stuff, some ska stuff, some funk yeah. stuff. It was like a, you know, it was like, that was a popular at the time. Like you do a little bit of everything. Yeah. That's what bands did. That's what Skank and Pickle did in the early days. It was like funk, reggae, ska, Why? but then it kind of, they kind of, became more ska punk was like you know as they started getting bigger right because there was that whole funk funk, punk, funk scene that was happening uh, yep. and that's where primus was they were away with that with like um limbo maniacs and dot mm -hmm. dot three and the blue chunks all these names are like 
coming into Psycho my Psychofunkabus. Yeah. Oh my god. Bungo Mungo. Yeah, I was <laughs> yes. really into that before ska. Before ska, actually, per, like I got into funk stuff before ska, and that's kind of how I got into ska because, you know, I heard about all those bands like Fungo Mungo and all that stuff, yeah. and I would get tapes and if CDs existed, you know, and somebody who was sort of into that with me was like, you got to check out this band Skank and Pickle. And I mean, didn't really explain, I, maybe he explained that it was Scott, but I don't remember any of that. I just remember, you know, taking his word for it and going to the show at One Step Beyond and just being like blown away. And then, then it was like, kind of like, what is this, you know, and yeah. going down the, the rabbit hole of, of ska music and, and kind of just sort of pivoting hard in that direction. I re- it's so funny. Yeah. My, one of my introductions was the specials record, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the back of the record, the, the front and the back where they're all standing in their suits and their wingtips and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I still had to dress, you know, I would dress in the suits all the time. Like when you're knocking on doors and every single Jehovah's Witness function, you have to dress in a suit. But I saw that record and I was like, I got to get those clothes. And I went, I went to Amer- <laughs> American rag used to be on Polk street in San Francisco before it kind of became big. So we, me and my friends would get a ride up there. And then we buy our wingtips and our three button suits and our skinny ties. So we can just look like the specials. <laughs> That's why I never got into like, I never got into the rude boy fashion. And in fact, like, I mean, I talk about it in my book and that was like required a lot of research on my part because even though I knew the basics from being around ska, like, I don't know, like when people rattle off the specific items of clothing i'm like yeah. i don't know what that is and i and i and i because i don't like i have a history of it i have to like double check triple check uh-huh. quadruple check because i don't want to like come off as um you know ignorant about like rude boy fashion yeah, yeah I, I don't have like any personal experience getting into a ska fashion you know but it, i mean it, it looks cool i i mean i always thought the bands look cool and I, but and even like but sometimes like you know when i saw hepcat live a few times i always felt like mildly uncomfortable because it's like not only did the band look cool, but a lot of their audience looked really cool. And I'm just like a very uncool looking kid, you know, I'm just like, Oh God, I like these guys, but God, I don't know if I fit in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had, to, I mean, I just had to wear suits all the time and it was my way to kind of just be normal outside of the Jehovah's witnesses at the same time. Cause I was still in the belief system, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, Oh wait, I can look like this and dress like this on an everyday basis. And then I can preach like this, but people won't actually know I'm preaching. They'll just think I'm walking around town, you know? It's just like, oh, there's Tony. And it's not like, oh, there's Tony <laughs> in a suit again. Is he, did you, you know, yeah, I, the, when I was in school, they'd be like, were you at a funeral? You're going to a funeral? Because I saw you all dressed up. And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <So anyone's... laughs> Poor Tony has so many dead friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. The way we, uh, the way we try to fit in with, somewhat normalcy right mm-hmm. these lucky kids they don't know <laughs> they haven't been to an anti-abortion protest <laughs> i didn't go yeah <laughs> how, how did you get out of it i mean like how how do they present it to you and then how do you get out of it i think it was presented like oh this is a important thing you should go to i, I don't think it was like a hard sell and okay. i was like i think i was busy i think you know i i was i don't know if i really was busy but i you know said i was busy and it's weird, like thinking back, I don't know why, like some part of me knew to like back off because I bought into the police system and I was anti-abortion. Yeah. Um, same thing with going to a reservation, like 
I bought into the idea that that was a good thing. But I also like some part of me just like, like lit up and was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And like, I found a way out of it. It's funny because, it, and it, I get that because when I used to go preach, it was always about getting those watchtowers in people's hands. It was about getting the, you know, yeah. put the Jehovah's Witness literature into people's hands and keep going back. And I was, I kind of stopped doing that. I would just read a Bible scripture and then uh, say, what do you think of that? And they'd be like, that's cool. And I'd be like, great, have a good day and walk away. And I'd be with mm -hmm. like an elder or something. They're like, what are you doing? You have and I'm like, no, no, I'm setting them up for next time. So they'd be more receptive. You know, I had all these angles, mm -hmm. but I kind of, I believed it was truth, but I didn't want them to know so they could be okay and be ignorant. So they wouldn't have to lead kind of the same um, lifestyle I had to lead. I, and I, but I still totally believed in the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's that weird little separation of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they always used to say, well, if they're ignorant, then Jehovah will let them get through Armageddon. And then we can, then we can preach to them then. And I'm like, well, let everyone stay ignorant. That's cool. <laughs> That's kind of my angle, you know? Yeah. You didn't know this was going to be a Bible talk, did you? Hey, I'm, I'm for it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> You know, you know, I did not cover Christian ska in my book and I seriously considered doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but what's funny is, you know, the, the main Christian ska band was Five Iron Frenzy. I'm not okay. sure if you're familiar. No, I didn't even know there was Christian ska. So this okay, so that was kind of a thing. So Five Iron Frenzy, um, OC Supertones. I kind of remember this happening at the time. Um, there was like a handful of bands. Five Iron Frenzy got really big and they were on my short list of things to like explore. Um, but I just kind of ended up just having too much content. So I currently do a podcast with my, with my friend, Adam Davis, who's also in Narboots in defense of ska. And so we're like, you know, let's do, um, the, the sax player for five iron frenzy, uh, Leonor Ortega, uh, till she's like on Facebook where we just kind of know each other sort of just from the larger ska network. And I was like, you know, it'd be fun to do this. And, um, because the thing about Five Round Frenzy is like, even though they were a Christian ska band, they, they kind of had been more progressive politically mm -hmm. and much more today. Like they put out an album last year that was like sort of to the Trump voter to sort of like be like, hey, reevaluate your positions on immigration and, and guns and all these things, you know, is yeah. it really in line with the Bible? Like that's kind of the the tone oh, and thing oh, of it, right? So I, I was like, angle. I was like, I'm down with these guys, you know, you know, what I, I, I'm cool. Like, you know, having this conversation and promoting them, if they're like, if they're promoting like values, even if like, I'm not religious and they are right. Mm -hmm. And so we brought Leonor on the show and um, we talked like quite a bit about like religious stuff and really got to hear her point of view and her thoughts about, what Christianity means to her and Jesus and, and like how it's changed over time. And it was super fascinating to me because it was like completely different than my own experience and like, you know, and, and how she is sort of, and, and the different members of the band, how they sort of like, like it was a very, very authentic thing. Like they, they see it more as a relationship with Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, like the values that Jesus has and sort of, trying to emulate those values and yeah. 
they're very much into non-judging, not non-judgmental and loving people. I did not grow up in a true church that preached these things, right? <laughs> Which and like in retrospect, I'm like, what if I had? Would yeah. I be an atheist or would I just be like them? Just be like, I'm a Christian. Yeah. It's so it's so weird to think. But it was a really interesting conversation to have, you know. Yeah. And I like you, know, that's I mean, I look, you know, I was very just like, you know, I was like, oh man, the Bible sucks. I just don't want to even think, I want to look at it. <laughs> but then, you know, I started reading other philosophy and uh, you know, and looking at Buddhism and other things. And then I'm like, you know what? Like Jesus philosophy is kind of cool if you think about it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. you can, every if you if you if you don't like I can't fathom I used to think the Bible was literal, now I don't. And I'm just like, well, if you take these these good things out and use the good things that's kind of cool mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know yeah i wasn't i wasn't ever felt like i could do that cherry pick you know right right but yeah but i guess you could cherry pick and you know take the good and that would be a totally different approach to it but I, yeah i was also i was very much taught that it was literal and all that right. stuff. yeah and then i, I kind of relate that to friends too because you know I, I i have friends that i'm like oh you know i i yeah i love that guy but but yeah he drives me nuts when he does this and this you know it's like we're all flawed. So if you give Jesus a little bit of flaws, <laughs> you know, you didn't it's, walk it's, on water. Those were those were skate shoes. I don't know. <laughs> I know it's weird having like because I have you know I grew up with some Catholic friends too, and they're very much like at least American Catholics. It's like they're culturally Catholic. You know, it's like they believe in God, but it's like the they identify more as a Catholic. And it's like more a part of their personality or culture. It's not like they don't like pour over the the belief structure or really like stress about it in a way. It's just like oh, I'm a Catholic. I grew up Catholic. My 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 mom's a Catholic. My grandma's a Catholic. And yeah. you know, it's just like a totally different way to be than than I was ever. That's why I went from like Christian to atheist because I was kind of like either I believe this or I don't believe this, and I don't right. believe this. So you know, I can't. There's no there's no kind of believe it. I don't know. That's just kind of how I, it just, I kind of reflected on this sort of the, the very literal nature of how I grew up. Well, I don't think you're allowed to kind of believe anything when you're in that situation, you either have to believe it a hundred percent or you're ostracized from Mm -hmm. the church. I mean, it's, I don't know if you had it on your end, but if we didn't, if we even question, if we even ask questions in a wrong way, they would come after you. It it wasn't, it wasn't so aggressive. And I've like, my, me and my parents are like, okay, you know, we were, you know, I never had got like a um, sense of that. I was not welcome in the family, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not, not everyone's so lucky. Yeah. And I, and my, and I'm very like, very close to my parents now, particularly my mom, who is extremely religious. And we literally just don't agree on anything, but you know, we, we just have like very, very like, very close bond and very you know a lot of love between us so we kind of just don't talk about that most of the time <laughs> that's a good angle yeah sure <laughs> it is no i you know uh there's things i don't talk about with my parents too but like as far as my aunt and cousins and people you know my family they i even dead to them as far as they're concerned when when yeah. uh, the, my book came out it was and they they don't even they can't even read the book to realize it's a love story and i never talk bad about the jehovah's mm-hmm. witnesses in the book um but I'm as far as they're concerned, I'm like absolutely dead. I wasn't even invited to my cousin's dad's funeral. Uh, oh wow! Ago. I didn't even know about it. I had to hear it through the grapevine. I'm like, what? And they're like, oh yeah. And they talked about you in the end as being one of the survivors. I'm like, 
you, you, you guys, you're out of your mind. That's just like, that's just lip service because I'm not even a part of the family. You guys look at me as dead. You know, it's just like. Well, yeah. Yeah. My, my mom grew up in a very Catholic house, like kind of what I was saying before, you know, my, my grandparents were very, very, very Catholic. They were Democrat union, you know, oh, yeah. type, type of people. Yeah. My, uh, my uncle, my mom's older brother. Oh, I'm, no, no. Oh yeah. Older. Yeah. He was like a hardcore hippie turned Jesus freak. Right. And so he was like preaching to everybody he met, you know, and my mom, like, you know, she just, he just kind of hit my mom at that moment where, you know, she was very receptive to it. And so mm -hmm. she became a, a convert. This was actually right before I was born that she became like very religious. And so she named me Aaron, you know, obviously because of that, <laughs> you know, so you doubted Moses. <laughs> wow you know and then there's catholicism i mean catholic is like really cool when you look at their churches and they got all these cool symbols uh -huh. but yeah. you know i mean when i grew up catholicism was demonism you know <clears throat> it's like don't even go into a church if you have a cross the demons are going to come get you and then now i'm like i, I you know I, I try to get cross imagery and stuff just because in my head that was satan in those days you know so. <laughs> People are like, are you a Christian or something? I'm like, no, that's for Satan, dude. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, did you ever, well, I guess, I don't know if it was popular with Jehovah's Witness, but there was the chick tracks. You ever seen those? No, what's a chick track? Okay. Sounds like a gum. Sounds like a piece of gum. They're these little um, comics about, you know, about this big. <gasps> right. I think, you know, I think it's coming back. Yeah. They're called chick tracks because the guy who made them is called Jack. His name is Jack Chick. And, they are radical. They're like, you're just supposed to like find these or pass these out. And like, they had some, I remember reading some of those that were like basically presenting Catholicism as a evil satanic cult. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, you should, yeah. Look it up, look it up online. There was ones on, and they were very eighties too. It was like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, all the Why? different, uh, very, 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 very homophobic anti-gay ones yeah. too, you know, just like horrible stuff. Yeah. It's and when I was, um, I mean, cause you know, there's no, allowance for any homosexuality or anything in the Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses. And when I finally got, got out of the belief system oh, and then I left and then I kept like reevaluating and it took me some years. And then I would like meet gay, I, I would meet gay people. And I'd be like, oh my God, you have no idea what I used to think of you. I thought you were dying at Armageddon. <laughs> and I'm so happy that I don't think that anymore. And it was just like, I was coming out to them. It was just like, I used to be hateful and now I'm not. <laughs> and it was, it was always so endearing because it was just, I think, um, because I was just, I was being authentic and they've had, they, you know, a lot of gay people growing up don't, they can't be authentic and they, until a certain point. So there's just that mutual authenticity of like, wow, you used to wish me dead, but now you don't. It's like, you know, we kind of coming together in a cool way. It was, a, it was, it was fun when I was so excited about it. <laughs> Told every homosexual I met. I think like that, oddly enough, even though I'm straight, like, I feel like the condemning of homosexuality was a huge component of like cracking away at my belief because I would just, you know, feel like, like, what's the big deal? Like, I think that would be like my thought process as like a young man. And I think like Skank and Pickle, this band, my favorite band in the world, their guitarist was lesbian, a very out, very comfortable, very proud lesbian. And I, I adored her. And, you know, I, I was friends with Skank and Pickle, you know, so like it just would kind of like, I'm sure there was other people, but I know she was probably the, the 
in terms of an out gay person, she was probably the, the person I knew first that was like that. And, you know, I'm like, what's the big deal? You know, to, to, to my yeah. brain, that's telling me this is bad. Like, what's the big deal? Like, she's an awesome person. Yeah. You know? And there's so much beauty, like yeah. having those, it's, it's so hard to get out of a belief system, you know? And yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal. And then to have those beautiful moments of just like, wait a second, we're all human. <laughs> you know, okay, we, we can all just connect. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like there was a, I feel like with Ska, there was more of a gathering too. Ska, Ska shows always felt like a, we're all here. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if you had that same feeling when you went. Oh yeah. See, that's what I, I loved about Scott. Cause like my getting into underground music was sort of a journey for me too. Cause all right. I was first, you know, I was first forced to listen to Christian music, you know, and then I kind of was like, started listening to music on the radio. Um, then I started getting into like alternative music. Like I discovered live 105. Right. Right. And this was before Nirvana. So it was actually like mu- bands you'd never heard of. Yeah. And I would like listen to it and be like, this is cool. And, and, and every, every day I, you know, I'd listen to be like, God, I never heard of this band. I would tape the yeah. songs, you know? And then, then I discovered that there were bands that played in clubs and that was where they existed and they weren't on the radio and they had fans that would see them live. And that was like kind of the, and that's kind of how I discovered like funk. Cause that was sort of what was popular. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that led me to ska. And I was like, wow, this is amazing that this music is just like exists in this world here. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much fun how we discovered back then. I, I remember the first time I, I put my radio to the very left of the dial and was just trying to find radio stations. And mm-hmm. my first station I found was KFJC. And I was just like, I thought it was a, I thought it was like a pirate station. And they, Jehovah's Witnesses were like, be careful what music you listen to on the radio. It could sway you. You know, and um, you'd be careful because Satan could get his influence on you. <laughs> and Satan, you know, in the end, Satan did get his influence on me. I got out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, but uh, but it was uh, KFJC was such a like whoa wake up call. There's other things. How do I find these records? You know, and you go to these record stores, and I remember just going to a record store and being like, okay, um, I know I've heard of a Sex Pistol. I'm just going to grab this album and then I'm going to hide it from my parents. Cause it says the word sex on it. And it's, it's that little, um, how we, how we used to have to dig for it, you know? And it's, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe if that was more of a, um, a reason why it was like a gap. It felt like a church. It felt like yeah. a different church. Yeah. So it's funny. Cause like my mom had told me that too, when I was younger, like, but I was still Christian, like, and I was getting into this other music. It was like, you know, she would worry that it was gonna, you know, influence me. And it's funny because she was right. Like you're just saying, like, not, but not like, it, not like it lured me to um, Satan or sin. It's right. just that it, like, it's just because you meet, you meet people with different beliefs, you hear people's other points of view, and it like makes you think about what you think and believe. And you meet people from different walks of life, and you know, you kind of, it kind of just cracks some of that, like, that the bubble that you're in. And so I definitely attribute like a lot of it to just being involved as an audience to underground music. And then, then as a band and playing these shows and, and, and going on tour and, and just meeting other bands and just seeing the world from different perspectives, you know, I definitely got that through music. And, and to what you were saying earlier um, about the ska like gathering thing, like that was something that I liked a lot because like what I was saying is I got into other underground music and 
even though I liked the music, I often felt a little intimidated by the crowds. Like Primus is a great example. Yeah. Primus were like my favorite band for a while, but their audience kind of scared me. They were like a lot of like kind of scary dudes went to yeah. Primus shows back in the day. And I was like kind of intimidated by it. But when I went to see Skank and Pickle that first time, I just felt like, oh, these people are all like, they're all totally different yeah. and they're not intimidating at all. They're like very welcoming. They're very like, you're different. I'm different. We're all like, we're all in on this. Like I felt that so strong and it like was very inviting to me to want to continue to like be an active part of the scene. It makes, I remember, yeah, because I remember Scott shows where you're in the pit. If you fall in the pit, you people stopped and picked you up. Yeah. Everyone yeah. kind of, it, it was like, oh yeah, we're going to get a little crazy, but we're going to take care of each other too. <laughs> and there was a beauty to that. And then you go see some, you, you know, see Primus at the Omni or something in uh, Oakland. And it's just like, I'm not going in there. People are trying to kill people, you know. In the- and do you remember like back in, back in the club days, they would, they would harass Primus. They would harass the band. They would like, I mean, the band kind of encouraged it because we're like, we're Primus, we suck. So the band would be like, fuck you, you suck. And they would like throw shit at them. You know, it was like, it was like part of the the shtick was to be antagonistic. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a weird, but it's like, I also liked how everyone looked different at ska shows too. Like, yeah, it never felt like, even though, even though like for certain kinds of ska, there was the rude boy look, but it never felt like there was a, an outfit, like whatever you were wearing or whatever you were into was totally fine. Even if like you were, wearing an outfit that was associated with a different scene. Like if you were wearing kind of a more metalhead or goth looking sort of thing, like you were totally like fit in and at a ska show back in those days. Yeah. It's, I, I, you just, uh, I just had a flash memory of uh, being at a Ramon show at One Step Beyond. Oh, actually a few, I went a few nights cause they used to play, you know, three or four nights yeah. um, when they would come through San Francisco in the Bay area. And there was this one dude that kept showing up with boxing gloves and boxing gear. He'd be in the pit the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Just, <with> the- <laughs> it's just like yeah, 1987 or something, you know? And he was going, what the hell is that? And I remember seeing his, like, at one of the shows, I see his boxing gloves flying through the air and <laughs> the crowd. <laughs> there, like someone just grabbed him and ripped his boxing gloves off. Wow. He's like, dude, no, 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 you're done. That's a pit I didn't go into. Because I'm just like, those, those people are for blood. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess he was being considerate with the gloves, though. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got my headgear on because I don't want to get a headshot because I want to make sure I'm here tomorrow night to throw. <laughs> That's fantastic. Are you are you getting ready to play a lot? I mean, we're kind of opening up now. I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing bands start to schedule 2022 tours, which is just... Yeah. I feel so good about <laughs> Are you getting ready to... Are you, like, going, we might be playing live soon, or... For for me as a musician and my band Narboots, I I'm not in we're not in a rush to play because we're so much about being like right in people's faces and and oh, kind yeah. of having that. So I'm I'm probably going to go to shows you know well before we're playing shows. Right. Um, so I think that we're we're going to wait it out until it really feels like things are normal, and then we'll probably start booking some shows. That makes sense. But uh, I, I'm I'm feeling pretty I'm feeling pretty comfortable to do stuff. I mean I, I'm I, I got my second vaccine shot um, like about a week and a half ago from when we're when we're recording this. Yeah. And so you know I, I I'm comfortable. I've read up a lot on the vaccines. I think I think they're really good. And I think that there's like some people who've like some people who've been you know doing the right thing like myself who've you know not gone out and not done things are a little 
having a hard time believing how good these vaccines are. Yeah. And they are, they are, the data is that they're really good. And so I'm, 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 you know, I'd like to live relatively normal in the, in the near future. Well, while still respecting that, you know, not everyone's vaccinated. And, and if, if, if a business wants you to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. If right. someone wants, you know, that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm not going to be antagonistic or anything, but yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a whole, I think it's a whole different world now when now being vaccinated than it was before. I had my second shot too, about a week and a half ago and I wasn't feeling well. And it was Ugh, like the happiest I've been in years. <laughs> I'm just like sitting here going, I, I got, I got a fever and I don't feel well. And all I want to do is sleep. Thank God for vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a couple rough couple of days. My wife and I got them at the same time. So we were just both like, ugh, for like yeah. two, it's about two and a half days. I'd say like partway through the third day, we're just like, Oh, I think it's kind of normal again. Yeah. And just, it's like weird. <laughs> it's so, it, it just, I just, it's giving me hope. I, mm-hmm. I've been buoyant since I've gotten my second vaccine. I'm kind of just like, oh, well, you know, I can go meet a friend at a at mm-hmm. a outdoor restaurant now. And I was really just being really strict. You know, I was even getting my groceries delivered for some months there. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and um, to just go, wait a second, I have a, I can have a conversation. I forgot how to have a conversation in person. <laughs> Let's work on this together. <laughs> I know it's weird because like I'm I'm anxious to do some normal people stuff, but I'm like so busy doing press for my book that it's like I don't really have time to like meet a friend with for coffee right now just to hang out. But I, I'm okay with it. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. that's such a great problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy being successful. Exactly. You know, it's so great. I, I'm, I'm and I'm so excited about your book too. Uh, when this airs, it'll be out. It'll be out the day before. So um, okay, cool. Yeah. So out now in defense of Ska. Um, <laughs> and it was just so much fun. I, you know, I, Clash Books seems really cool. I, I've, yeah. I, I like those guys. Yeah, they they they're really cool about just being like, we'll put out whatever we want as long as we like it. Yeah. Like we don't have a thing. Like we don't have an angle. We're not a horror press. We're not a nonfiction. We're not a poetry. We'll do anything if it resonates with us. Yeah. And um, that's how it should be. Yeah, that's how it should be. And ska book that they wanted to put out the ska book. So yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And it says in, in defense of ska, and the, but it's with the uh, graffiti. Ska sucks. Was that at Gilman? That's at Gilman. Okay. You want, you want to hear about the that cover? Yeah. Because yeah. I so. Well, actually, so kind of like, you know, I, my wife and I, and, and also a friend of mine, we, we'd kind of gone back and forth to different ideas. And we kind of had that sort of idea that you see on the cover now, but mm-hmm. as a, as a drawing and we were working out some drawings that just didn't quite work. And then yeah. one of my friends was like, you got to just do a photo of it. And I was like, all right, all right. He's like, he's like, do it at Gilman. Cause you know, like we, we have mutual friends at Gilman. And so I reached out to them and I said, Hey, can I, come into Gilman. This was last summer during the pandemic. Wow. I was like, can I, can I come into Gilman and spray paint some graffiti on the walls for a book cover? And then they're like, yeah, no problem. Just uh, paint over it when you're done. Oh, wow. so you, so you actually painted Scott sucks on, at the Gilman. So um, yeah, well, I didn't personally, um, I got, I got an artist friend. Uh-huh. It was me an artist friend and it was a photographer friend. So the yeah. three of us went to Gilman masked up for eight hours 
and we did we did a couple we did one in the bathroom that didn't quite work uh-huh. and then we did the one that you see on the cover that was um you know where the merch is yeah. right next to the door we, that was that whole wall there oh okay so so the for the second one the first one it was too cluttered mm-hmm. right so the first one the artist he put in defense of ska ska sucks just on top of the graffiti and so we were like kind of going like what's what's wrong with this why doesn't this work he's like he's like well even though it doesn't quite you know even though it's not quite accurate you to, to make it work for a book you got to kind of like block out some of the graffiti that's where the actual text is mm-hmm. we're like okay so he's like so first he 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 took black paint and he painted like just over where we were going to put the title right yeah. And then, then he took a spray paint and he put ska sucks, kind of like tried to do it really quick. So it looked like a normal graffiti. Yeah. And then um, he, this, this artist friend, Ken, he does like lettering. Lettering is like his thing, right? So wow. he, he'll, he'll work for companies and he'll do professional lettering. Yeah. And so then he wrote like, then this took him like an hour. He wrote in defense of uh, all, all without stencils. He just did it. Just, 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 I don't know how you just did it. It's very well proportioned. Holy crap. I didn't realize that in defense of is actually on the wall. Yeah. He painted it on the wall. Wow. I thought, I thought it was a Photoshop thing. No, the only thing that's Photoshopped is my, is my name, Aaron Carnes. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. And in fact, he had written my name on there too, but it wasn't placed in the right place. Yeah. So we so we photoshopped it on the right place. And then after he put the lettering on there, then I I had brought a whole bunch of scoffs stickers and I put a bunch of scoff stickers and then we re-put some graffiti back on just to fill up oh. some of the space. So some of that graffiti was already there and some of it we added in. Okay. And then and then on the back, it's like a, a full wrap photo. Yeah, the back there's we didn't do anything to the back except we placed a trombone on the table. Yeah, that was the only thing we did. <laughs> oh, that's rad. That's so cool. So that and, was like, yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was the thing. Yeah, we we spent all day trying to make this cover, and I'm like, clashed where a little bit like, are you sure you want to like do all this? You know, this is yeah. a lot of work. I'm like, I'm like, we got to have the right cover. They're like, all right, go for it. That's great. And it's, and it is the right cover. It's, it's, I can't picture any other cover. Yeah. Cause it, I think it has the message of the book pretty clear. It's like, yeah. Um, it's like, it's not timid. It's like saying like, you know, Scott, like give Scott respect, you know, like, we're not going to like, we're not going to just like giggle at your, at your ska jokes, like, and like, like embarrassed that, you know, the say that we like ska, we're going to say like ska is awesome. And we're going to like, you know, punch back on that a bit. Yeah. So I think that that was the message I wanted the cover to say, to have, you know, I'm still blown away. Cause I've loved the, I've loved the cover and I'm still blown away that in defense of was actually on at the, at the club. I swore. I, I, I had no idea. It was, <laughs> it wasn't Photoshopped in. Wow. That, my mind is blown. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, I couldn't believe it once we, cause the first cover, the first one was like, like it was theoretically right, but one didn't look right, you know? Yeah. And I was so amazed when we started, you know, we got it on the wall and we started taking different photos of it. And I'm just like, wow, I can't believe, I can't believe we pulled this off, you know? Like yeah. us, us three people, like during the pandemic at yeah. Gilman, just like all day. <laughs> yeah, that's so fantastic. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. 
Aaron Carnes on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, In Defense of Ska, out now on Clash Books. Next week on the show, we have Bob Calhoun. He's a fellow San Franciscan native and the author of the book, The Murders That Made Us, a true crime story, a true crime history of San Francisco. Keep reading great books. Keep writing. Keep up the empathy. Storytelling breeds empathy. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. You are on your radio dial at 101.9 FM, KPCR LP, Santa Cruz.